As the Democrat 2020 presidential field begins to approximate the population of Pittsburgh, candidates are trying to distinguish themselves by their positions on the issues. Beto O'Rourke, for instance, says he apologizes for being a white male and regrets having made a cute little joke about his wife because it's just the sort of thing a white male would do and then apologize for, for which he apologized. O'Rourke says that going forward, he will be more ashamed of being white, which he hopes will win him the votes of all white males who are ashamed or who should be ashamed for making cute little jokes about their wives, who may also be white, for which he apologized. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, on the other hand, says she apologizes for having helped force Al Franken to resign over some silly incident where he molested a sleeping woman, which she says wasn't silly, and she apologized for saying it was. Gillibrand said she only forced Franken out as a way of atoning for supporting Bill Clinton, for which she apologized. From now on, when men are molesting women, Gillibrand promises she will condemn them each and every time it won't result in costing the Democrats political power, and if it will cost the Democrats power, she will dismiss it as silly and then apologize. Senator Bernie Sanders did not apologize for the fact that women in his last campaign were sexually harassed, but he says he apologizes for not apologizing and now apologizes. Joe Biden says he apologizes for helping to draft tough-on-crime legislation since it caused many black criminals to be sent to prison where they belonged, a comment for which he apologized. And finally, Senator Elizabeth Warren says she apologizes for speaking with forked tongue and thus offending the spirits of her ancestors, which she doesn't really have, and she apologizes for saying that she did. All in all, it's safe to say the Democrats are a sorry bunch, and for that, they apologize. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. So this is going to be kind of a dangerous show for me, not for you. You don't have to stand back from your iPhone or anything. Some of you may have noticed that I'm not really very careful about what I say. And believe me, I hear about this, not just from my wife, but from some of the people around here who, for some reason, don't want our wonderful website to be destroyed by leftist haters who take me out of context. I make jokes about women, I make jokes about race, I make jokes about Jews and blacks and gays, and I don't usually include the disclaimers about how it's just a joke and I'm trying to make a point, blah, 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 blah. I do this because I love this country and all its craziness, and I want everyone to be free to do and say what he or she or it likes, and I think joking about our differences and joking especially about the incohate leftist policies that drive us apart and undermine our values and make matters worse is a small service I can do for the country that's given me everything I have. But today, in the name of not getting Ben and our God King Jeremy Boring lynched, although if you want Knowles, call me for his address, let me just take a little bit of time to be careful and say this. I think white supremacy is bad. I think it's stupid. I think it's evil. And today, when I talk about white supremacy, when I point out that multiculturalism and race baiting and illegal immigration and censorship give white supremacists a platform with decent, ordinary folks, I am not equivocating on the issue. I'm not giving any credence to white supremacy whatsoever, and anyone who takes me out of context or, context or twists my words and says I am is lying and can pound sand. That said, I will now proceed to destroy myself and everyone around me. <laughs> but first, let's talk about movement watches, or as we like to call them, me movement, because 
Eat, look at this. Look at this watch. Look how beautiful this watch is. <laughs> the thing is, it's beautiful, but it doesn't cost a lot. Why? Because they take out all the vowels. MVMT is how you spell movement. And without the vowels, you can get a watch that in a store might cost you hundreds of bucks. But instead, these movement watches start at just $95. They look good, they keep it simple, and they don't cost much. Go on their website and take a look at them. You just, you'll get all these classic designs, minimal, really quality products. That's why they've sold almost 2 million watches in over 160 countries. And you can get 15% off a beautiful movement watch today with free shipping and free returns. Go to movement.com slash Andrew. That's MV. MT.com slash Andrew. MVMT. Movement's launching new styles on their site all the time. So check out their latest at movement.com. Go to movement.com slash Andrew and join the movement. All right, we got the mailbag coming up. Ah, please stop. I, can, I confess. I confess. Uh, movement coming up. And also, I just want to say a quick thank you to Proofrock News, which is a great. Uh, um, mailing that you get on the arts and who mentioned Another Kingdom is out now. And I hope you will all go on Daily, uh, on Daily Wire, on Amazon and buy a copy of Another Kingdom. It's a beautiful looking book and I will bring one in and show you. Um, so white supremacy. Is America suffering a white supremacy problem, right? This is the narrative the press is determined to put forward and they're furious at Donald Trump that he will not play into this uh, idea into this idea that we are a country beset by white supremacy everywhere. And, and whenever he won't play, whenever he won't play along, whenever he says, yes, you know, there are bad people in the Antifa movement and bad people in the white supremacy movement, but there are also good people who are arguing about a park and they twist that to make it sound like he says there are good white supremacists, which he never did and probably never would because he doesn't believe that. They are pushing this narrative because it's good for them. And their idea, obviously, is this evil president, this president that they didn't want elected. Oh, my goodness. He is the chief white supremacist. You know, he just flew back from New Zealand where he shot up all those Muslims and he got, you know, put on his white supremacist uh, hood and he's sitting in the White House making, uh, eliminating unemployment for black people for some reason that doesn't really make any sense. Listen to this amazing clip from MSNBC. This is Chris Matthews asking Cory Booker, uh, president, you know, a Democrat presidential candidate, asking the really tough questions. Meanwhile, as the Democratic base pushes issues of racial and gender equality, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker asked tough questions about President Trump by MSNBC's Chris Matthews. Is he racist? He, he's a guy that... Is he a racist? R racist thinks he's racist. And his language hurts people. His language is causing pain, fear. The way he's talking is making people afraid. Wow, that's really asking a candidate the tough questions. Is your opponent racist? That's is he? Come on, come out with it, out with it, Corey. That's that's pounding him, Chris. That's really good journalism. Here is uh, Greg Meeks with the basic uh, narrative that we're all supposed to believe, and if we don't believe it, we are participating in the MAGA racism of Donald Trump. The president is supposed to be, and he is, the most powerful person in the world. And therefore, he has the biggest megaphone in the world, mm -hmm. and he uses it for other reasons. But on this, and any time we're talking about white supremacy or white nationalism, he chooses not to use it. 
uh, and the language that he uses continually. I mean, even when he talked about the horrific incident that took place in New Zealand, he came back and was talking about invaders, mm -hmm. which is the same kind of language that you see white nationalists and white supremacists use on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you add that on the kind of rhetoric and things that the president has said, whether it's during the campaign or even before the campaign started, you know, whether it was about Barack Obama and his status, those were language, you know, languages and words, code words that leads and builds one upon the other. You know, you generally would say, ah, he just made a statement. But you see, it keeps building and it right. happens on a consistent basis. So just remember, this is a narrative. It's a narrative that they're building. And when you step outside the narrative, it's not like you're disagreeing with the narrative. You're saying, oh, this narrative is wrong. It's that you are a racist because you're not participating in the narrative. When they asked Trump if there's a problem with rising white supremacy, he said, no, there's a small group of people with a very, very big problem. That's what he said. But that's not the narrative. So when you do that, you become a white supremacist because we all know that there's rising white supremacy. Heather McDonald, best reporter in the country, if not the best, certainly in, on that top shelf of best reporters from the Manhattan Institute, she was asked, she had Martha McCallum had her on and asked her about the numbers. Now, this is the second uh, Heather clip. It's number 10. And uh, she asked her, you know, how, are, are, there, is, is, are there rising hate crimes in America? The number of reported hate crimes, and we don't know how many of those are Jesse Smollett hoaxes, last year was identical to what it was 10 years ago when there were 25 million fewer people in the United States and many fewer reporting agencies. And if you go 10 years before that, you have 3,000 more hate crimes, reported hate crimes. So the idea that there's been some surge in in hate, much less white supremacist hate, is completely ridiculous. Excellent. She's such a good reporter. She gets the numbers. Obviously, it's not happening. It's just not happening. But when she was asked about that clip that I've been pay playing for two days because it was, I just found it so ignorant and stupid and arrogant, that clip of the New York, NYU students berating Chelsea Clinton. And obviously, I'm not a Chelsea Clinton fan, but the woman has a right not to be berated for New Zealand. She's talking about that clip. She points out that this narrative is important institutionally to the left. It is important institutionally to the left, but it's just ridiculous. Here she, here she is. The left is so determined to try to paint America as a source of white supremacy, whereas, in fact, there is virtually no institutional support for these a handful of kooks that are insane. They are violating the very premises of Western civilization. But we are all on campus now. What happened at NYU is infiltrating the culture at large. More and more of the, of the Democratic Party is adopting this poisonous identity politics that is determined to paint America as a bastion of white supremacy when that is not true. So... Insofar as there are white supremacists, and as Heather says, they are against everything that the West stands for, they really are. Insofar as what is the narrative that we're, we're watching? What is it 
that gives them credence. And I'm going to talk about that and end my career <laughs> in just a minute. But first, let's talk about stamps.com. You know, I love the post office. I've lived off the post office my whole life. They are how I built my career. They do everything. But nowadays, you just don't have time. I don't have time. I live in L.A. The post office may be around the corner, but around the corner in L.A. is 45 minutes away, right? So you want your post office in your computer where you keep everything else after all. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere. And you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40 cents off, 40 percent off uh, priority mail. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Clavin. That's stamps.com. Click on the microphone and speak into the microphone and say, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right, let's go back to this clip that we have played before of Hillary Clinton talking about why she lost. This is in Mumbai. It's very hard to find this clip now. It's buried on somebody's uh, show, but it's still there. Here she is talking about why she lost. If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. I win the coasts. I win, you know, Illinois and Minnesota, places like that. But what the map doesn't show you is that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward, and his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You don't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. So keep this in mind, okay? This is the way, and I play it not just because to pick on Hillary, although I love to pick on Hillary, but this is the way the left looks at the country, right? All those places that aren't blue, all those places that aren't cities, all those places that aren't on the coast are seething with racists. And when they say make America great again, when they say let's go back to some of the things that made us great, what they're talking about is racism. They're talking about excluding black people and excluding gays and all that stuff. That's what they mean by making America great again. That's their attitude. That's what they think of the large swath of this country that is not New York and L.A. Now, listen, after 9-11, I was in the San Francisco airport. I was traveling on a book tour. And I was, you know, all of us shocked, rattled, and I'm looking around, and San Francisco is a city that has been destroyed by leftist policies, a beautiful city that's become unlivable because of the left. But it also is a city of tolerance. And before the left leftist policies bit in, it is a city of tolerance. And I looked around this airport in, the, in SFO, and I looked around and I saw white people with black people, gay people with gay people, people holding hands. And, and, and I just thought, this is what they hate. 
This is what these Islamists hate about our country. They hate this. And this is what I love about it. And this is the country I want to be in. And of course I want to be in it. Why? Because I grew up in a neighborhood that was 50% Jewish. A Jew in, in America at that time, which was, you know, all wasp, all white, all, you know, uh, one, one side of a thing. And yeah, I had a father who was paranoid about every little thing. If a Republican won anything, if he won dog catcher, he thought the Nazis were coming back. Oh, the Nazis are coming to America. Oh my gosh, there's a Republican walking down the street, the Nazis are coming. And I looked around me and I thought, the Nazis? Jews have never had it so good. Uh, you know, me, I was a kid and I was thinking, wait, this is great. We're, we're treated just like Americans. They just look at us and they think, oh, that's an American. He's a Jewish American, but it's American. They, on TV, they, when they say Merry Christmas, they say Happy Hanukkah. You know, I just thought, this is, this is great. This is a great country. I want everybody treated like that. When people are not treated like that, it's not fair. I want blacks treated just like Americans, gay people treated just like Americans, even women, and they're crazy. I want them treated just like Americans, okay? Now, I'm still a kid. Now maybe I'm 14, maybe it's 68 or something like this. They begin busing. They begin busing poor black kids out of ghettos into other neighborhoods. And the people in my neighborhood, which was a prosperous neighborhood, they protested. And they had a march. And CBS made a documentary called Guess Who's Coming to Great Neck, basically calling us all racist. I wasn't in this march. I didn't, you know, I had nothing to do with it. But th they made it look like these people were racist. Now, let me ask you this. Bussing these people in from bad neighborhoods. You know, I, I didn't really experience it because it happened actually as I was getting out of high school, but my brothers did. People came in and suddenly there were violence. There was violence in these schools. Suddenly there was intimidation. There was crime. There was stuff going on because these kids, a neighborhood is something that people tend. It's something that people build. It's something they create for their children. People moved to Great Neck because they wanted to be part of the American experience of suburban living that you saw on TV. They wanted, these Jews wanted to become Americans. They wanted to become Americans and, and live the American dream that they had seen. They tended this community like a garden. They tended its schools like a garden. They fought for its schools. They fought and went out and voted to keep the schools well-funded. And suddenly the government over past crimes that the people in Great Neck had nothing to do with it, suddenly the government says, we're going to fix all this. We're sending these people into your schools. We're sending them into en masse with no cons consultation with you, with no care for you. And if you are against that, you're a bigot. You're a bigot. Now, isn't there a difference between standing up for integration, standing up for the right of black people to move into a community once they can afford it, once they've worked their self up, way up the ladder, once the bounds of bigotry and segregation that the Democrats have put in place, once those are pushed out of the way and they can move forward, welcome to our community. You are now just like everybody else here, just like everybody else here. Now, we don't care about the color of your skin. Welcome. That's an important thing. That that's matters. It matters that you're like that. Isn't there some difference between that and a busload of kids who haven't been brought up the way your kids have been brought up, who haven't been uh, taught the rules of the game the way your kids have in this community that you work so hard to build and defend? Isn't there some difference at all between those two things, between saying, no, you can't move in here because you're black, and wait a minute, hold on, hold the phone. The government is busing how many people into my community? Isn't there some difference there? If you call those people bigots, if you call them bigots when they protest that government policy, doesn't that give some credence to the white supremacist, the, the true bigot who whispers in their ear, oh, this is, this is the conspiracy. Here they come. They're coming to replace you. I mean, evil is always present, right? 
Evil is always present, and you have to have some kind of care for people. You have to have some kind of care to make sure that evil doesn't get a voice, that evil's voice is not legitimized. When Angela Merkel opens up the gates of Europe, essentially, and lets millions of Muslims come in, millions of people, some of whom, many of whom, I think, have ideas that are antithetical to Western governance, that are antithetical to Western values, that treat women badly, and they open up the, uh, the gates, and people start to say, our, our girls are being mistreated. Our, our community that we built and love and cherish, it's being destroyed. Our community values are vanishing, not because, not because people came to this country legally, worked their way up the ranks, came in and suddenly could buy a home next to me. You know, sure, there's going to be a bigot who says, no, don't buy a home next to me. But there's going to be a lot of people who come over with tea and cake and say, welcome to the neighborhood, too. And those are the people, obviously, we support. But when you don't care, when these people cry out to you and the government doesn't listen and say, oh, you're bigots, you're racist, we're, we're, we're the elites, we're in charge. We, you know, it's a global world now. It's a global world. Your neighborhood doesn't matter where you raise your kids. Your schools don't matter where you raise your kids. Your girls are being raped. Don't say anything because that would be bigoted. Doesn't that give credence to the white supremacists? Doesn't that mean that this evil guy, the devil now, has the power to say to them, you know, look at what these people are doing to you. Look at what's happening to your neighborhoods and the government doesn't care. You give them a voice. Listen to Kirsten Gillibrand, and I'm not singling her out. This could be any Democrat. Listen to her talking about illegal immigration in America. Immigration is not a security issue. It is an economic and a humanitarian and a family issue. So. There is no such thing as an illegal human. I believe we have to fundamentally transform how we treat people seeking asylum and refuge because in my state, and I know in your state, you have immigrant populations across this state, refugee populations that make your economy stronger, that make your, your city and states stronger, that make this country stronger. We should not be afraid of refugees and asylum seekers and mothers and babies seeking our help. That's not a serious statement. That's not a serious statement. That's a bumper sticker. If you're in a neighborhood where suddenly crime has gone up, if you come out into your backyard and you find bodies there, if you see people being raped and nobody's doing anything about it, if you see whole swaths of territory that the police can't even patrol anymore, and you complain about that, and your leaders, your elite say to you, no, that's not happening. That's not, these people are making your economy stronger. This is, it's not happening. It's, it's not an emergency. It's not happening. Don't listen to that evil white supremacist in the White House. This, this stuff isn't happening. When the devil comes in, when those white supremacists come in, when the evil man comes to town, okay, and he whispers in your ear about white supremacy and how these evil people are coming in, haven't you planted the ground to make him, to let that weed grow? Haven't you given his voice? You know, it, it's like censorship, right? Blacks are like 13% of the American population. They commit 50% of the homicides, okay? If you tell me that that's not going on, if you tell me that if I say that's going on, I'm a racist, if you tell me that the truth, the simple truth of the numbers is something I can't talk about or I can't even see, I can't even see it there, or I'm a racist, don't you give the devil the power of the truth? Now the devil can speak the truth, and, and you're a liar. And you're a liar. And so I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Which one of these people is telling me the truth? Now, you can come in and say, hey, there are reasons for this. This is not about race. I don't think it is about race. I really don't. There are reasons why this is happening. It's about culture. It's about things that the government did that create, that destroyed families. It's about a lot of different things. But it's certainly not about the way people are born when the color of their skin. That's crazy. That's nonsense. 
But if you're telling people to lie, if you're telling people the things that are in front of their eyes aren't there, when the devil comes to town and speaks the facts and just gives them the facts, doesn't he get power? Doesn't he get the, the, the strength because he's, he is speaking truth? You know, the other day I was in an Uber. I took an Uber to and from a restaurant. And the guy driving it was a young man. Driving me to the restaurant was a young man. The guy driving me back was a young lady. And both of them are playing rap music. And usually I tell people to turn that stuff off. Uh, my wife gets in the, whatever they're playing, she tells them to turn it off. But, but I, I, I like the, the driver to be able to play music. I drove a cab. I know it's a, a boring, sometimes frustrating job. You got to listen to something. So I, I usually let them play any music that, that's not destroying me. But this time I'm alone. I thought, well, let me listen to the rap music. And by some chance, maybe Providence, they're both playing the same song. Both going and coming, they're playing the same song, so I guess it's a hit. I can't tell you the name of the song. But it has this guy bragging about forcing a girl to perform oral sex on him while he chokes her, right? And I'm thinking, this is kind of insane. This is insane. Not only are these kids listening to this trash, right? But me, I'm the customer. I'm the guy who has to put the five-star rating in. I'm the guy who has to say, you give him a tip, right? They're thinking that the elderly gentleman in the back seat is okay with this, is okay with listening to this girl tour. I mean, what if they'd been playing torture porn on a TV set like they have in some in some SUVs, right? And I'm getting there and I'm thinking, what? You know, this is what I have to ride with in, the, in this car? And when Barack Obama, of all people, and here I am defending Barack Obama, when he gets up and says, you know, get some money, make some money, uh, you know, and, and then you won't have to wear these gold chains. And the New York Times picks on him for not celebrating the diversity of black culture. That culture is garbage. That's a garbage culture. Not, not all black culture, that culture, that rap culture that treats women like that, that is a garbage culture. And they should condemn it, of course. You know, this, it, it's, the same, it's the same with Islam, you know, when you don't talk about the violence, when you don't talk about the, the fact that the 13 of the 14 top wars in the world are, have to do with Islamic people. When you don't say in 2015, 75% of all terrorist deaths were caused by Islamic terrorism, and you're not allowed to say that. It's the same thing. You give credence to the actual Muslim person hater, because there is no such thing as Islamophobia. Nobody woke up one day with an irrational fear of Islam. They saw things in front of their eyes and they said, excuse me, I see something in front of my... No, no, if you see that, you're Islamophobic. Well, now the devil has the truth. The devil has all the best tunes. Now the guy who says these Muslims are evil, he's the only guy talking about the facts. If you silence the facts, if you silence the truth, who do you think gets to talk the truth? Who do you get, think gets to speak the truth? It's the haters who get it. It's the left. It's the left who seeds the... Insofar, insofar as white supremacy is getting high, is doing high profile things insofar as they are inspired, insofar as they are reaching anybody. It's the left. It's the left that cleared the field for them by denying the truth. You know, I, I want to get to the mailbag, but I, I want to finish this thought. You know, Pete Seeger was a famous folk singer when I was a, a kid. He was a Stalinist. He was a guy who supported Joseph Stalin, who ignored the gulags, who ignored the evil. And he wrote a famous song called Little Boxes. And I'll read you just a little bit. This is about s the suburbs. Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one, and they're all made out of ticky-tacky, and they all look just the same. And the people in the houses all went to the universities, and they all all get put in boxes, little boxes all the same, and there's doctors and there's lawyers and the business executives, and they all get put in boxes, and they all come out the same, and they all play on the golf course and drink their martini dry, and they all have pretty children, and the children go to school, and the children go to summer camp, and then to the university, and they all get put in boxes, and they all come out the same. And the boys go into business and marry and raise a family, and they all get put in boxes, little boxes all the same. What magical world did Pete Seeger imagine?
was beyond that, was better than that. That world, that world that America created, that world that what they're talking about when they say make America great again, that was the best thing that ever happened to humanity. Huma you know what humanity is. It's a series of endless wars, a series of great, uh, of, of uh, terrible poverty, a series of, of just starvation, a world of starvation until that, until capitalism, until freedom, until freedom created that for ordinary people. Ordinary people lived in those houses. Ordinary people who used to live in huts, ordinary people who used to have to fight and scrape and not to starve, suddenly they had everything. They had universities, they had families, they had gardens and lawns. And if the houses looked the same, if the houses had to be mass produced, screw you, Pete Seeger, screw you, Stalinists. That was the best thing that ever happened to America. Now, here's the thing. The left says America is evil because it didn't include black people and it didn't include gays and it's evil because it won't let people in. If it's so evil, why do they want to be included? If it's so evil, why do they want to be let in? It's a beautiful thing. This country is an amazing thing. This country as it was in its ideals was an amazing thing. Its flaw, its, its sin was that it didn't let people in. I get that. That's, of course, that's true. But you want to let them into the culture that was great. You don't want to destroy the culture that the people were trying to get into. That makes absolutely no sense. So welcome to everybody who takes up the torch of American values and leads them into the, into the next generation. But if you're going to decry those values, if you're going to run down those people, if you're going to run down the greatness that drew people here in the first place, if you're going to call them deplorable, right, you're giving all the best tunes to the devil. You're giving all the best tunes to the devil. That's what I have to say. Uh, I Oh, I want to tell you Shapiro's new book, which is wonderful. The Right Side of History is in stores now. So head over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or rightsideofhistorybook.com to pick up your copy. And you'll be at Amazon anyway, buying another kingdom. And today only, today only, you can catch Ben doing a live book signing on today's episode of The Conversation at 7 p.m. ET. He's going to do a live book signing on The Conversation at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. To get a signed copy and a chance to have your question answered, head over to premiercollectibles.com slash Ben Shapiro. The book is great, and I know you will enjoy it. The Right Side of History is the name of the book. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come over to dailywire.com. Subscribe so you can be in the mailbag next week. It's a little stuffy in there, but you do ask, get to ask questions. I answer them all. My answers are 100% correct and will change your life, sometimes for the better, as you will now see. Mailbag coming up. All right. Mailbag. Yeah! <laughs> All right. From Stan. Uh, Andrew, my fellow bald brother, I know you are happily married, but hypothetically, if your wife were to be unfaithful to you, how would you handle the situation? Is adultery a good enough reason to divorce someone, even if they did it once? I know the Bible says, till death do us part, but I think that cheating is a horrible act. First of all, the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus, who was very opposed to divorce, did make an exception in the case of adultery. Well, I'm not going to answer the question personally. That's ridiculous, but I will tell you what I think about this. Um, if there's cheating, if there's adultery, you have exactly two choices. You can forgive or you can leave. Those are it. Those are the choices. What you can't do is you can't stay on in seething, obsessive rage. I mean, look, it takes, it take, this is, a, it's one of the most damaging things you can do to a marriage. I mean, it may be the most damaging thing, maybe up there with uh, addiction would be another one. And of course, uh, physical violence. But those are the three things, abuse, adultery, and addiction that are the terrible things that you can do to destroy this family that you were supposed to be building. 
it, it is a terrible thing, but it happens for a lot of different reasons. It happens because men are stupid. It happens because women fall in love and think there's some romance they're going to find elsewhere. It happens because people are being ignored. It happens because people come and say, I'm, I'm being ignored. I need more sex. I need more attention. And nobody listens. It happens for a lot of different reasons. And it happens because people are bad and sick and corrupt. That's, that's another reason. You have to look at this situation and say, can I forgive? Should I forgive? Those are the two questions. You might want to forgive because you have young children and you don't want to blow up their family. You know, that's a, that's a good reason. Uh, you might want to forgive because you see how you made a mistake and, and that's why your spouse did something. If you can forgive, if you can forgive and you think you should forgive, that's what you should do, obviously. Uh, but, but if it means that for the next five years, you're going to be saying, well, how many times did he call you and where were you when and when were you doing Because that's what happens. People get very obsessed over the details. They think they want to know everything, but the more they know, the more they want to know. If that's the way you're going to live, I don't see how you can stay. You can't stay in a state of perpetual rage. Uh, and, and you should leave. And if you, and if you want to leave because you don't want to be treated that way or because you think it's destroyed the marriage, you should leave. If you can forgive and think you should forgive, then forgive. If you can't, get out. That's, I mean, that's, those are the only two choices. You shouldn't think, you shouldn't think there's another choice of staying and like punishing the offending spouse for the rest of his or her life, because that's just no way to live for anybody. Uh, from Madison, I'm a 20 year old college student studying management, and I just happen to be female. I've noticed that because I'm female, I'm afforded many opportunities like meeting prominent business owners in neighboring cities, but men are not invited to those events. And I know that the left thinks women are oppressed still in today's society. And that's why we need events like this, where prominent women are paraded around like today's version of Ms. Universe. However, it makes me think that on some level, these higher-ups think I am not as capable of competing for the same job as a man. Bingo. That is what they think. So I need the adv extra advantage of knowing people. I want to compete, and I have worked very hard to make myself a good candidate for a job in the business world. I don't really want to attend these events on account, and I don't that I don't want to question myself later in life about whether I truly deserve the job or if I just got there because I'm female. Uh, friends tell me I should go to these events anyway, uh, but I'm still unsure if I could support the new matriarchy. Any cons consult would be much appreciated. Okay. First of all, you're right. Uh, uh, of course, this is a, you know, not a good way to handle these things. People should be treated. When you want to treat people fairly, treat them fairly. That's what you do. You stop doing what you were doing before and you start treating them fairly. You don't compensate because the people you're compensating with are not the people who committed the offense, right? The, the men who may have kept women out of business, and I don't actually think that narrative is true, but the men who kept women out of business are not the men you're going to college with. However, Having said that, and, and I think this is the way societies get corrupted, because if they give you affirmative action, who's going to turn it down? If they give you special you know, tax considerations or whatever, who's going to turn them down? And that's how society gets corrupted. However, you want to succeed. You should use every honest means at your disposal to succeed, including this one. And then when you succeed, you should turn the tables. You know, make your career, have your career. These are, these, are, uh, these are not dishonest things to do. I mean, these are corrupting to society, but they're not corrupting to you. You're not being corrupt. You know, take every advantage. There are advantages that men have. I know this. I mean, I, I like to gather together with cigars and drink with the guys. I don't mean that to be excluding to women that I work with, but I think it probably is, you know? I mean, I, I, and, and, and I don't want to smoke cigars with women. I want to get together with the guys and talk, just like women want to get together with women and talk sometimes. But, but that can be an exclusionary activity, so maybe this compensates for that in some way. Live your career, use every uh, honest means at your disposal to succeed, and when you succeed, make a change. 
you know, have, invite all people to your symposiums. Invite all people. Make sure you meet um, young men as well as young women. And that will give you the power to make the change that you should, that, that should be there. Because you're absolutely right in your, uh, in your appraisal. Um, from William, uh, old crank. And that, <laughs> they introduced me, the guy who introduced me at Franciscan University started with, called an old crank by Vanity Fair, and then went through this long list of my accomplishments. And I got out and I got up and I said, you should have stopped at old crank. Uh, what are your thoughts on the national popular vote interstate compact? I know 11 states have signed on with New Mexico likely joining in the near future. Personally, I find this a little off-putting. I think it's nonsense. I think this is part of the Democrats' uh, idea that they can destroy the electoral Electoral college, so coastal cities can run the country. That's basically what they want. They they want to destroy everything, everything that causes them to lose. Lower the vote to sixteen. They should really raise the vote to thirty-five, but they want to lower it to sixteen. They want to destroy the electoral college. They are literally talking now. It's now a, a litmus test for a Democrat candidate. He has to want to pack the courts. There is no good reason for packing the courts. The only good reason is they have corrupted the courts to become leftist lawmakers because they can't get their laws passed in Congress and they can't get them passed with the people. So they want five or how many uh, Supreme Court justices to impose them. So now they want to pack the courts, destroying the Electoral College. And that's what this is about. It's a, an agreement that you'll only deliver the state's uh, electoral votes to the person who wins the popular vote. That's the idea. So that's a, a way of getting around the Constitution. If you want to change the Electoral College, go make an amendment to the Constitution. That's what it's there for. Go and try. I'd like to see you try. All right. Uh, from Robin, if you're reading this, thank you so much for your time. And what I have been told is life-changing advice. It is. Uh, but my husband and I have been trying to begin a family and to date have been unsuccessful. I don't mean to sound ungrateful for what I do have, but it is a crushing blow every month and it's beginning to make me feel inadequate as a woman. Uh, any advice on how to resist the temptation to bout a bitterness or fear when going through what feels like an endurance trial of my soul? Thank you so much for all that you do. I pray for the DW crew uh, regularly. Thank you very much. Amer Another Kingdom is fantastic. God bless. Thank you. Um, First of all, I mean, the fir my first impulse is to tell you not to feel inadequate as a woman, but I know that's wasted words because these are things that happen to us, uh, whether we want them to or not, and whether we know they're irrational or not. Of course, it's irrational. You're not inadequate as a woman. However, I, there's a lot of information here that information is not there. Ha have you gone to a doctor, you and your husband both? Have you both had a checkup? There are a lot of steps uh, that you can take to improve your chances of getting pregnant. Some of them are totally natural steps uh, that you can take that improve your chances of, of being pregnant. Some of them are a little medical help, but not involved with, you know, in vitro fertilization or anything like that. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, and this happens to a lot of people, by the way. I mean, it's not, not everybody gets pregnant, on, you know, in the first uh, try. A lot of times it takes uh, as long as a year and more. And a lot of times people adopt and then find they get pregnant uh, because that, you know, that helped them relax or whatever. I don't know why it is. But you should definitely talk to medical professionals. Get yourself checked out. Make sure your husband gets checked out as well. Make sure you're doing everything that you can in a natural setting and then decide how much further uh, you want to go with this. I mean, it, it's just uh, it is something that happens, but you should know everything about the situation and, uh, that you can. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous not to know. It's ridiculous to go in and ignorance and just be afraid because it's obviously making it very painful for you. If it turns out, and I hope it doesn't, God forbid, but if it turns out that you can't have uh, children, then you want to think about adopting because believe me, there are kids out there that need you desperately uh, and who, to whom you can give a wonderful home and, uh, you, you know, you will love them as, as your own. And, um, 
And so, I mean, this is, these are things that you just want to find out, but don't just sit in your room and worry about it when you can really get some information. There's a lot of information out there and a lot of things uh, that you can do. Um, from Eleanor, um, I have been attempting after nearly two years on the job to set stricter work-life boundaries. My boss texts, calls, and insinuates her way into my days off, <coughs> my after hours, and my weekends. It is all generally work-related, and I'm tired of it. However, we live and work in a very small, tight community, and I'm afraid of the backlash. Am I overthinking this? Thanks, and I appreciate any advice. Well, you know, this is something that people are dealing with increasingly. Uh, obviously, some of, some of it is unintentional on your boss's part, maybe. I mean, I don't know your boss, but some of it can be unintentional. Sometimes your boss thinks, well, we're all pals and we're all working and all this stuff. And sometimes a boss, thinks, I know I do this. I'll send an email to somebody on the weekend and I try to remember to say, you don't have to deal with this till Monday, but while I'm thinking about it, I don't want to forget about it. You know, that may not be the most polite thing to do, but sometimes it's helpful uh, to get something down on paper while it's happening. I don't like to bother people on the weekends, but you know, if I send something to someone on the weekend, I can trust that they're going to deal with it on Monday. So some, it, it's possible your boss doesn't know that the effect of the effect she's having. If that's not the case, if the, you, she really is just kind of a uh, overweening tyrant, uh, you should really think about your situation. You have to you have to get a whole picture of your situation. Uh, what's your position on this job? Is it the job you want? Is it what you want to be doing? Do you need this job desperately? Uh, you know, is your boss a, a flexible person? Is a, your boss a nice person? Is your boss someone you can talk to? If your boss is someone you can talk to, sit down with her and be incredibly positive. Tell her you love your job. You love her. You love working in this place. You're getting a little stressed out because there's no there's no breaks. There's no place when this ends. And you could use a little bit more you know time in the weekend to just kind of decompress. You know that's a conversation that you can have in a very very positive way at a very uh, friendly level. If you judge that your boss is able to deal with that, you don't want your boss to leave you out of the loop. You don't want her to leave, you know, to go to other people for the things she needs. You just want to have a little time cleared. Ask yourself about this and, you know, you have to decide for yourself whether that's a, a, a path that's open to you. Uh, but if it is, I think you can sit down and have that in a very positive conversation. If not, you might have to leave your job and choose another one. But this is something a lot of people are complaining about because as we have this instantaneous communications and when you're living in a small, tightly knit community, as you say you are, people don't draw the line. You know, they don't make any uh, lines between themselves. They think, well, we're pals. You know, I'm your boss, but I'm also your friend. I'm your boss, but I'm also your neighbor. So I'm just going to drop by and say hi. And for you, that's like, oh my gosh, the boss is there. But for her, it's like, you know, I'm just dropping by talking about stuff. So if, if that's true, there may be a way that you can, in a positive way, uh, tell her about it and, um, and make a change. Uh, from Justin, dear master of lefties, I have been a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, and I started listening to your show around the 2016 election. I often find myself thinking how a lot of the things you say align more with the LDS theology than any other Christian denomination I have come across. This past week, you mentioned having concerns with some of the theology. Since I've never been a part of another religion, I sometimes find it difficult to get into the mindset of someone who's not a member and has an outside perspective of the church. Is there a specific belief taught in the LDS church that you disagree with? After being a missionary for the church for two years, I know there are several misconceptions out there. Thanks for all you're doing. Uh, geez, you know, no offense, but I, I hate this question. And the reason I hate this question is I want you to live and enjoy your religion and enjoy your faith. I'm not here to attack your religion. And I, you know, it, it's hard when you ask me what I don't like about someone's religion to tell them why I don't believe in it without seeming to attack it. Uh, 
Um, but you asked, and I will tell you that, you know, I, all the Mormons I've ever met, and I know I'm not supposed to say that, the Latter-day Saints I've ever met uh, have been delightful people. I met a lot of them. I used to ski in Utah, and I met a lot of them, and they were always wonderful people and fairly happy people, you know, people who were really content. Their neighborhoods look great and all this. I've read the Book of Mormon. It's been a long time, but I simply did not believe it. I did not believe in Joseph Smith. I did not believe in the rewrite of the Bible. I didn't believe in some of the uh, some of the theology of the Trinity. Um, and I also never understood why the Book of Mormon is written in fake Elizabethan prose to sound like the New Testament. That makes no sense to me. So those are the things that put me off. I, my theology, what I think of how God operates and who God is, is very, very much summed up in the Nicene Creed. So there's nothing uh, for me to move to from there. I mean, it really does say what I believe. I'm out of time. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll save some of those questions that I didn't answer and look at, put them in the next uh uh, the next mailbag. Uh, I, I want to take a turn. I haven't been doing segments on the show because I like free form a little better, um, but I have been doing a sort of final um, reflection and my final reflection and, my, and it is kind of a stuff I like. So let's have some stuff I like music. Stuff I like. Stuff I like. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> All <right>. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible, terrible stuff I like music. I, I don't know how you feel about Ricky Gervais. But I'm, I really actually like him. He hates God. He hates, he's obviously a liberal. He hates humanity. And his show is called Humanity. And he says, I don't know why I called it that. I'm not a fan. But he is a funny, intelligent guy. If you're going to be offended by someone who disagrees with you, don't watch. You'll hear jokes like this one. What a lovely welcome. Just for that, I'm going to try my hardest tonight. <laughs> I know you're thinking, you're thinking, Rick, relax. We've already had our money's worth just seeing you. <laughs> You're a legend. Shut up. Why is he? I'm just an ordinary guy going around talking to people. Sort of like Jesus. But better. Well, I've actually turned up. <laughs> so if that's going to insult you, don't watch. However, and the language, of course, as always with these comedians. However, he is really funny, really intelligent, and goes after political correctness with a hatchet. I mean, he goes after it with a hatchet. And at the end of the show, he does an encore that's very subtle, but it basically explains why humor beats political correctness every time. So it's funny, it's intelligent, it's sharp, it's good stuff. And uh, if you don't mind disagreeing with the guy, because, you know, I'm sorry he and I won't be spending eternity together. You know, it's a long time and I could use the laughs, but he does his job and he's very, very funny and very smart and really goes after political correctness in a smart, cutting and insightful way. Uh, Ricky Gervais, Humanity, it's on Netflix. See you tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, President Trump takes on the press, the 2020 Democrats compete for attention, and leftists decide the problem is guns and white people in New Zealand. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.